Welcome to Dev Bootcamp Live, the podcast where we help you level up so you land your first engineering job, and we help you level up so you become the best engineer on your team. I'm Juan Lizarazo. And I'm Jared Potter. And today, Jared, we're continuing what we started in our previous episode. We were talking about accessibility, building accessible web apps. And just a recap, remembering why we're doing this, right? Uh, because uh, not all of, our, all of our users have the same uh, capabilities, the same, um, like, for example, not everybody sees the same way, right? Not everybody has the same vision. Some people use glasses. Some people have issues with contracts, contrast. Some people have um, motor skills issues, right? So we always have to make sure that we cater for all of our users and that all of them can have the same quality of, of experience, right? This involves auditory problems, a screen reader support, uh, semantic HTML, a lot of things that we can do and baking in our uh, development process. Something very important that we said in the previous episode, Jared, is that you can add this as part of your software process, as part of the sprint, like building in everything you build. Because if you add it to a backlog and then you put it there, it's never going to get done or it's eventually because there's no direct business value like to, to the stockholders, right? The ones that direct what gets done or not. So it's just better to do it inside of the process, like just like you do automation, unit testing, stuff like that. Just add it to the process and you'll get it for free because there's a lot of out-of-the-box stuff that you can do and it will give you all these big wins for your process product. So the first thing, right, to, to, to remember here, like, uh, let's talk a little bit about, let's start with uh, semantic HTML, a little bit about that and the screen readers, Jared. So we, we covered that, but like uh, something that we didn't cover is that there is this thing called area and it has, it's, it's an acronym. It stands for something. You can Google it. You know, you have homework with us here, our audience, but Area tags, um, the idea, like the best practice there is not, don't use them by default. Like don't put area tags on everything. Don't use area tags on, um, on like for testing purposes to grab elements in your testing framework. Don't you do that? Just use area tags when semantic HTML, semantic elements uh, don't offer what you're looking for. Remember, all the elements in, in HTML, they have some semantic properties. And some of those are like uh, the role or type usually, like for example, in forms, we have the type, we have a name, uh, we have a value and a state. Those are optional attributes. So try to default to what the element offers out of the box title, right? Like other things like that, labels uh, for the forms. And, and, and if you don't have that, then you can uh, try to use roles for the screen readers, right? Uh, like role button, it's very useful, role um, menu, I think. Um, but if not, then use area attributes. So the, 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 this is just to kick it off there, but to not spend more time really on semantic HTML there, Jared. So so yeah, let's let's continue. Let's continue. Yeah, absolutely. So just to add a little bit of a little bit of context to to what we're kind of talking about here, you know, again, because of a lot of our users um, have different levels of accessibility, a lot of them end up go going to keyboard accessibility for interacting with the you know their the web apps um, and for that reason you know, that's why we're talking about screen readers. So when a user is going through the website and you know generally speaking tabbing through the different elements, you know a really great point that you made uh, last point Juan was that you know being able to order our elements and leveraging semantic elements as much as possible and putting them in a logical order so that when we're tabbing through them, you know, it's going to make sense. And then yeah, like like just like what you're saying here, Juan, that's kind of that that order of precedence. You're going to start with trying to use semantic HTML, right? Which is HTML that has meaning attached to it. And then as necessary, adding a role attribute if you need it. And then lastly, adding um, an aria tag uh, attribute, not a tag, excuse me, 
kind of yeah. in that order. So that, you know, as again, these users are going through our web app, we're, we're maximizing, you know, their experience in that process. Uh, but yeah, no, there's a couple small bits with semantic HTML that I think are, are worthwhile uh, mentioning that we may have missed last time. Um, so one of those being uh, are the H tags, right? So everybody has seen these H1, H2, H3, all the way up to H6. And most people just kind of think about these as being different sizes, right? So I'm going to, you know, if I wanted a big, a, to be a big title, I'll use H1. If I want it to be a smaller one, I'll use a different one. But there's actual specific semantic meaning to these um, where generally speaking, the way that these things were designed was that an H1 is meant to represent, you know, a primary title for like an article or for a page and that H2s or H3s would come after those H1s, right? The higher number or the lower numbers rather, you know, in precedence order. So when we are, when we're using these H elements, we should try to make sure that we're using them in the way that they were intended to maximize the experience uh, for our users. But Juan, what's your experience with that or any other, other semantic elements? Yeah. So to mention last time. Yeah. So something very important with that, uh, with the H tags, the heading, headings, headings, right? They, we don't want to skip any tag. So sometimes let's say you, you have a design from the UX designer and you have that the H1 size matches that for the styles you have, but then you find that the next one is like an H4. So sometimes you will just skip it, right? That's really bad for accessibility. You don't want to do that because the screen readers, they use the tags as an a structural outline of the document and they use that for navigation. And there's other things you can use along the head, the, the, the head uh, tags, the H tags, which is uh, the, the section tags of tags, like for example, main, or a side or nav, right? And the idea is that you have just one of those. So don't use a lot of like main because then it's gonna be very confusing for a screen reader, uh, but it's very important, do not skip. So what's the best practice there, Jared? If you have a design and the H1 matches, but then the next one, the next heading you have in your um, page is maybe an H4. In that case, no, you use an H2, right? Because maybe that doesn't match the design, but then with CSS, you style it to match the design. So that semantically is going to be correct and it's going to help with accessibility. And as we said before, this is built in, in the process. You didn't have to, you get it for free, right? So, so it's very important. Do not skip those tags and use other semantic elements, navs for the navigation and uh, main for the main section, sites for other uh, section, sections that, that you may have uh, in, in the in the um, page, right? Like maybe a, a navigation on the right or something that is not uh, like the main content of the page. But, but that's very important for the, the, the navigation. Um, and and yeah, that's that's like the main thing. Like the other thing is links, right? Use links properly. You, you can use uh, links also to provide uh, a structure to the document for navigation, like uh, anchor tags that have anchors on the same page, right? So you click it and you're not navigating away. You're just navigating to a section within the same page. That also helps a lot with accessibility. So there's a lot of things you can read about that. Um, there's best practices, for example, for links that you want to hide on your on your page from a screen reader. Sometimes like something very important, let's say you have a sign up and you don't want that sign up to be read every time the screen reader has to navigate. That's very annoying for our users that use screen readers. So there's strategies that you can hide that element from the screen reader. Is it still on the page? But then they don't have to navigate every time through it, every time they want to navigate the page and start over. So keep those things in mind. And, and that's all I can think of about semantic HTML that we didn't mention last time. Yeah, no, I think that's some great points right there. Uh, 
Here's an interesting question I have, Juan, actually, that I thought we could talk about a little bit is uh, our, our modals, right? So how, when we're talking about modals, right, which, and by the way, modal or pop-up for anyone out there is just anytime you're on a screen and, you know, a smaller screen, quote unquote, or window will pop up in front. How do we, how can we, you know, what are some things as engineers we can do to help focus attention there properly um, for our users that, that need that extra bit of help? Um, if you're referring to like the visual aspect, maybe it's important to have some, um, and HTML offers out of the box this, there's a, a model that you can use and they offer like these, uh, background. I don't remember the name. There's a term for that background that is kind of like grayed out or dark, right? That covers everything. Uh, that helps with contrast and focus. So you focus on the content, uh, you can use, um, attributes to autofocus uh, if there's an input or something that the user should should see there. Uh, is that kind of like what you're asking there or I took it that different yeah, direction? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Making sure that if something pops up on the screen, that focus changes to it properly so that, again, someone using a screen reader properly is where it needs to be rather than like maybe tabbing through the items in the background still, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. That that's very important because that's that's how they know. Like, right? Especially like it's very important when you render new forms. You should out of focus to the uh, main input if you need to type anything. Let's say you're gonna. So then that avoids an extra click or an extra tap on the keyboard. So that's very important. And how do you do that? There's a, like for example for input elements. There's an out of focus attribute you can add. So you get that out of the box for free. You don't have to do crazy JavaScript or anything. So that's very very like you get it for free, right? So that that's that's uh. That's uh, very uh, important. Yeah, absolutely. What's what's another topic we need to go over, Juan? Here. Um, yeah. So um, we didn't cover, I think, last time about. Um, there's uh, media, right? R right now, our web applications, not all of them, but many web applications have some sort of video or audio uh, or rich media, right? Uh, for example, it depends on the platform, but at least I can think of every company out there, they have at least one marketing video, right? One cover video that says like, this is what we sell, right? Sometimes applications are rich applications. Maybe let's say you have a video platform you're building, um, then, that's a lot of media, right? So, 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 so there's accessible tags that you can keep in mind to embed subtitles and uh, and to make your media accessible. So let's talk about that, Jerry. Like, what what you have to tell us about like all the rich media accessibility wins that we can get out of the box with everything the browser provides uh, natively. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I don't know for how many years it's been here now, but. There has been, you know, full browser support for being able to play, you know, rich audio files and rich uh, video files. Um, most popular uh, for video is going to be an MP4, especially an MP4 that's been optimized for the web. Is is generally speaking, ideally, what you want to be using um, on your website. Um, anyway, there's native elements. There's an audio element and there's a video element, and then numerous options and attributes and, and uh, child elements that you can use to really kind of customize uh, the player for, for the audio or for the video. Um, and a great thing that they also had baked right into all modern browsers is the ability to create a, a really simple subtitles or caption um, uh, you know, compatibility support. So you can actually create, if you go, if you Google web VTT, it's a, it's a specific text file type that lets you specify a timestamp and then some text that goes along with it. So if you've, you know, you and your company created a video marketing videos, you know, 60 seconds long, 
You could have someone go in there and just manually kind of create this file, put the text that's necessary in there. And mind you, you can also create this for multiple different languages. So, you know, users can switch between them if they would like. And then automatically the browser is going to know like, okay, if, if we're playing the video and we're at this point, we're going to show this text. And then as soon as this other bit of, you know, this next timestamp comes along, we're going to play that one. So yeah, it's it's really great what they've what the you know what these browsers have provided for us, and all we have to do is just put a little bit of work in to make sure that we are you know being accessible to to everybody. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's like one of these things that like people don't know about, right? And they just don't do it. But it's important to include like I think subtitles they're very important at least on your marketing videos. Maybe not all the user uploaded content, but. Um, that will really help because you don't know if everybody can hear, right? So you are opening to all the market to that potential yeah. 20% or 30% or 10%, depending where you're at, uh, that could become potential customers, could be potential customers yeah. for you. Um, so Jared, another thing that we haven't mentioned that is very important is about uh, the text sizes. So that's another thing usually... We get a UX, a UX designer and we just like implement their designs, right? But sometimes UX designers are not um, uh, focused on accessibility. They're just more focused on the experience or in the looks, or they just uh, are experts in the experience for just regular users, but they are not aware of accessibility issues with their designs. So it's very important two things that I'm thinking about these. One is always make sure like when you're implementing those designs, make sure that the elements do not overlap. Have you ever noticed that maybe you have an element and then you try to click it or tap on it? And then is is like swallowing the vent or covering another element that you actually want to click. And this happens a lot when you have uh, mobile devices. So it's very important to always test your sites on mobile devices. Always make sure that you, you are capturing or changing the sizes, use responsive designs. So then your elements do not overlap in your smaller screens. And there's media queries that you can use for that. So please read about it and make sure that you your site does not overlap elements. That's one thing. And the second thing with the designs is the text size. We take that for granted too. Sometimes the text is too small, uh, actually text should be at least 14 points or bigger. If you use 12 points it's still on your site, you're doing it wrong. Um, if you don't have media queries or you don't have responsive typography in your site, then when you are on a mobile device with a high resolution screen, right? Let's say you have an iPhone with uh, one of those super high resolution screens, the text might look too small. So make sure to keep something called responsive typography, super easy to implement, and it's just playing with uh, relative units. So you can read about responsive typography. That's the key term for you to look up and then learn. And then you can make sure your site is accessible in mobile devices, especially for users that have a hard time reading. Um, something else important, Jared, is this: the color choices or contrast. We talked this uh, a little bit before um, to make sure that you have enough contrast, but also for the, not just the color choice, but also there's contrast for the text size. So so there's some rules and I don't have it memorized or anything. So I, this is something I want to mention. There is an accessibility uh, guideline. It's called Web AIM, uh, the web, web accessibility in mind, and the website is webaim.org. There's a guidelines there. It's called the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. And then you can get all this information about how to use text sizes. For example, they tell you like there's some... Uh, ratios, uh, like for example, they have a 1591. So that just means like maybe the main size, size text size is 150% bigger than the next the next size. So they specify everything there. And also with the colors, there's some color information there. So something very important because there is so much information It's a guideline. So that means like if you don't do it quite right, there's no right or wrong, just follow the guideline 
as much as you can for certain elements, for certain things, right? Uh, you know, it's not like a strict thing here. Uh, so you're not going to break anything. You're just going to make more uh, accessible sites. Um, there's an extension, a Chrome extension is called Accessibility Insights. So Google it, accessibilityinsights.io is the website. You can add it to Chrome. There's other platforms that, you, that, that are supported. They have uh, for Chrome, for Android, for Windows, uh, and then you can you test that, you can test your site and it can provide you insights, kind of like the uh, performance insights that we talked about a few episodes before, like a few weeks ago. And it will provide you with uh, advice, like, hey, make sure that this and that, make these changes. And it's little changes you can make to tweak your site, to make it, uh, or your web app, to make it more accessible. Um, so yeah, Jared, what else uh, do you have to add to those things I just mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one little bit on the, you know, there's the responsive topography uh, point. So in, in pretty much all browsers and especially, I mean, I think most developers probably are, are developing across some sort of Chromium based browser, you know, Brave or Chrome or even Internet Explorer, or excuse me, Edge, excuse me, <laughs> not Internet Explorer. Well, you um, still use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. The icon looks like almost the same. Um, but if you open up your dev tools on your website, Right next to one of the hot dog menus there is a little button that looks like a little phone. And if you click on it, it will actually switch your layout to be um, some default phone. I can't remember which one they stick in there by default, probably Pixel 3 or something like that. But there's actually a drop down. And in that drop down, it lets you select different common um, cell phone screen sizes. And you can play around and see, hey, what does your website look on this phone versus that phone or that phone or even tablets, right? There's options in there. And of course, you can type in your own custom height and width as well. But that's a really easy, quick way to test to see what your site generally will look like on a mobile phone. Now, you know, as with any type of uh, you know process like this, it's not always foolproof. Ideally, if you can deploy your site to a real place and actually test on a real, you know, ideally some kind of iPhone and then some kind of Android phone, um, that's gonna be the best experience. Uh, another small tip is uh, there's a really great website out there called caniuse.com, which just essentially catalogs and keeps track of browser features across um, you know, all sorts of different browsers and devices. And you can also take a look at that and kind of see what are the market shares for different types of browsers and decide like, who do you, you know, what, which browsers do you actually want to support and which ones do you not want to support? Um, you know, a point of accessibility is, let's say someone does load your website from Internet Explorer. Well, chances are, if you're using modern, you know, technologies, that what your website's probably not going to work well. And either one, you can spend a ton of work to make it compatible, or two, you can do a quick detect, a uh, little bit of JavaScript to see what browser are we in. And if we're in an in Internet Explorer, just say, hey, we, we don't support this, right? So from the get-go, you're just like letting the user know, hey, this isn't this isn't going to work out really well. Um, but yeah, anyway, my, my point is, was that is just play around, make sure your website does look good on a mobile device. And it's just built into the browser that makes it really, really easy to test that out. Yeah, so I have two thoughts on that uh, for you, what you were talking about there, Jared. Uh, one thing, like, especially for our audience, right? New graduates, don't make this mistake. Sometimes new things come out. So always use can I use, but always make sure that you have the right technology stack. For example, let's say ES2020, something new is coming up, let's say observable. Sorry, it came out. I don't remember if it is part of the spec or not, or at least private properties that came out last year, I think with the last spec, uh, but that doesn't mean you can just use them and your site supports them. So make sure if you are using that, 
you have in your tech stack or in your build process, you have a transpilation to low to older versions of JavaScript like ES5 or ES6. So then it will make it compatible. If you don't do that, your site is not gonna work. That's one thing. Another thing, they'll get hyped. So for example, let's say when Flexbox came out, everybody wanted to use it. And they, and one of the problems we had with more junior engineers or that I had was like, hey, Yes, this is new. It's great. But you shouldn't use these properties because this is still pretty new when CSS Grid came out. Uh, because like it came out, but not everybody is using the latest version evergreen browsers. And so you have to make sure that you see what, what your users are using, right? And then see if there's polyfills or make it compatible. So that's the, the where I'm going with this is like there's adoption. When something new comes out, there's an adoption period. Usually with the web, it takes about three to four years to be like, yes, now we can support this natively or there's polyfills or things like that. Always make sure uh, that you have the right tools in place so you can use the latest and greatest, okay? So that's the first thought. The second, you talked about the, the feature change, uh, feature detection, and um, there's some libraries out there. For example, I've used Modernizer, which is a feature detection library for HTML5 and CSS3. And what it does is like, instead of you having to detect user agents and know like, for example, manually like, oh, can I use this or not? What you do, that that's something called progressive enhancement. So just, I'm just throwing the, 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 the thing out there, Google it, learn everything you can about progressive enhancement. But that just means like you have this base site and if the browser supports more features, you enable them. If the browser does not support them, you don't enable them, but everybody has access to the same experience. So modernizer, what it does, it adds classes based on feature detection. So for example, let's say if my browser supports, uh, just an example, I haven't used this with modernizer, but just an example, let's say if my browser supports CSS grids, then a class is gonna be added by these modernizer libraries, a JavaScript library that will add some CSS classes to certain markup and elements like on the HTML. And then I can see like, oh yeah, is there, I can apply things. I can use CSS grid. So you can use that to prefix like your CSS, like CSS grid, the class they add automatically and then your own CSS. And then it will just work natively or not. So you don't have to do the, or manage the, the change detection and provide uh, progressive enhancement, which is a really good practice to keep in mind. I challenge you to turn off JavaScript on your site and let me know if your site or your web app works. I guarantee you that most of the work sites that you work on or the web apps, you turn off JavaScript, the site won't work, right? Unless if you're a big company, some big companies are very strict with accessibility and they're like, yep, I still work with JavaScript off. So that's part of accessibility too. But unfortunately for that one, Jared, uh, not everybody has the resources to like make sure the site works without JavaScript and with JavaScript. But that's one thing we're taking that for granted. Not all, all devices have JavaScript enabled. There's some security policies. If your JavaScript doesn't work, there should be some sort of fallback. So that also has to do with accessibility. Um, and oh, Jared, and one reminder here that for everybody listening, uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter or uh, follow us in YouTube or whatever platform you're listening this on. So you support us and we keep creating new content and you know we have the links there on on the description of this video or these podcast audio um but but yeah i think i mean that's everything i have to add to what you just mentioned like the thoughts that came when when you were talking about the the media responsiveness yeah no i think those are really great points to add there um some of these things you know ultimately are getting into a little bit of you could say you know, nitty gritty bits, but I mean, honestly, being exposed to them at least makes you aware of them so that, you know, when it comes to perhaps ultimately addressing them, you know, you can go and do that, you know, with all of this stuff that we're teaching uh, you students out there, you know, at the end of the day, you know, 
definitely focus on building, you know, really solid foundations of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, right? We, Juan and I are here trying to, you know, take, take the step up, take the level up, um, again, leveling up your skills to help you be a better engineer beyond just having really great foundations, but keep those in mind. Um, yeah. One last, <laughs> go ahead. I don't know. I was going to say, yeah, just like, you know, we exposed you. We're not experts on a lot of things or we know we, it's about exposure, right? If you know something exists out there, you can go and apply like the guidelines, like or the extension, the extension will tell you what to do. Or when it comes to web performance, like you don't, it's really hard to keep track of everything. But like when we talked about web vitals, you use the tool and the tool tells you what to do. So the important thing is that you know the tool is out there so that you know you can use it and you have those resources, these resources are available. Yeah, absolutely. As just to kind of, so I've just kind of have one bit of a random tip just to kind of uh, for my, for myself here, which is um, when we're talking about you know again lots of, I mean having a very diverse set of people using our web apps, there's times where people with either you know low visual acuity or you know no visual acuity sometimes um, can have a hard time clicking on on buttons or clicking on links or just you know clicking on the interactable elements of our web apps. And for this reason, it's important that we're making sure that the, the size of the interactable, interactable elements are large enough. And not only large enough, but also spread apart enough from each other that it's that someone's not going to click one, you know, one over the other, right? So if like you have some important modal pop-up and there's like a yes and a no button, but they're like really close together, right? Someone could, you know, accidentally or you know, motor disabilities or whatever could you know, click on the wrong item. So, you know, making sure that you space things apart properly, making sure that they are large enough. These are also called tap targets or click targets um, can just really go a long way. And what, like we mentioned in the last episode as well, when you're building forms, um, making sure you're wrapping labels around your elements. Uh, you know, the, the biggest culprit of this is the radio button. For a lot of people clicking that EDBD radio button is, is, is hard. So, you know, making sure that you have a label that will, that will trigger that uh, radio button click um, is going to be really useful. But that's my, that's my last tip. Awesome. Awesome. No, that's great information. We're almost out of time. So just to finish up, Jared, I'm going to share a couple of things here. So remember, um, read about assistive, assistive technologies, enable the screen reader on your uh, platform. Like if you're using Windows, they have built-in screen readers, Mac OS. If you don't have one, install one. There's also Chrome extensions that can help you with, with, with that. There's Chrome extensions for the visual aspects. The other Chrome extension I mentioned that, that helps you with the insights, the accessibility insights. Um, make sure of you, you keep in mind content reordering or recording content. We talked about that, right? Like um, don't use like, for example, floats because they throw off the screen readers, right? Like the content might look good, but then when you're navigating maybe through your keyboard, it's going to jump around because that's not really how it's positioned in the DOM. So remember, default to DOM ordering. If something needs to go first, move it in the DOM. That's going to be better. Um, learn about area labels. Don't use them out of the box. Like always use that as a last resort. Always default to semantic HTML. And something that we cannot not mention, Jared, is the A11Y project. So the A11Y project covers a lot of things. It's very extensive and it's everything about web accessibility. So I want you to visit it, uh, a11project.com. And there's a checklist there. You click it and you'll see a lot of things that we talked about here and things that we didn't talk about, but it's a whole checklist that will say things, for example, like I, I have it open right here. And it says like, hey, do you use a lang attribute on your HTML element? So then you can 
like check it and see like, oh, if you don't have it, you go and add it. Why? Because the language, that's also part of accessibility. If I open a site in German, I'm not going to understand it, right? So I have an accessibility issue right there. So it's very important to include those things. So go check that checklist, go through the items. You don't have to comply with it 100%, but it's like a guide. It will help you apply a lot of the things like, do you use a button as a button? Do you use a label for your attribute, uh, for your uh, forms? Uh, does your image have an alt, uh, an alt attribute? And even you don't have it, then you add it. Uh, are you using the right head, head, heads, right? The head tags. Are you skipping? Are you using lists? Are you using the right controls? So it's like an extensive checklist and it teaches you everything uh, that really you need to know and you don't have to memorize it. You can always go every time you're building something, go check it and make sure that before you release some new code to production, always go through it and be like, oh yeah, I comply with these things that I did, right? Or add it as part of your code review. Maybe like, okay, make sure that you comply with A11Y. You can have it built in in your development process and then it, 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 it takes like, you know, in a code review, maybe 10 minutes to review and make sure like, hey, don't forget to add the alt. Hey, don't forget to add this, that. And you will be, you will have more accessible uh, applications out there. But but yeah, I think that that's it uh, for today, Jared. Anything, any final thought? No, I'm good. Awesome. So yeah. So so thank you so much for joining us today. This was Dev Bootcamp Life, where we help you level up so you land your first engineering job and become the best engineer on your team. I'm Juan Lizarazo. And I'm Jared Potter. I will see you next week. Thank you.